This episode of Outback Stories is brought to you by Collai Hotel. Established in 1862, it's an Outback gem you don't want to miss. Hello and welcome to Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined as always by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. Archaeologists say they, you know, 40, 60,000 years, 120,000 years, but the old people would say they're timeless. Yeah, so they, they could be even older. Hello and welcome back. Welcome back. How are you feeling, Luz? Pretty good. Pretty hard landing this week in Bree Warrener. Very windy day, but lucky no one else was around. <laughs> Other than Barra, who saw a really bad landing. This week we did. We touched down in far west New South Wales to speak with Christopher Barra McHughes, an Indigenous man very dedicated to his community. Barra is only 23, but what he's achieved over those 23 years uh, will blow your mind. He's already leading the first Indigenous mitigation fire crew in New South Wales for the Rural Fire Service. And basically he told us that him along with his team were recruited because they know the country so well. And the crews were put in place to manage the land during bushfires as well as teaching people about culturally significant sites. We did this interview with Burra sitting beside the historic fish traps that have been around for tens of thousands of years. Such a historical artefact right at our doorstep that no one had really heard about. And it was so nice to sit on the banks of the Barwon with someone so in tune of the culture, heritage and the place. He knew every scar tree, he knew every tribe that had mm. been there and he was listing off the native animals and plants that were surrounding us. In a community with quite a high crime rate and high school unattendance rate, it's great to see how far Burra's come and how far he will go. This is Burra McHughes. So before we were at the fish traps, which is, like you said, the oldest man-made historical site in the world, isn't it? Yeah. Can you tell us about the fish traps, what they are, why they're there, a bit of the history? Yeah, not sure why they, you know, picked a spot they picked, you know, as fish traps, but, um, you know, Byam and his two sons, Byam is the creator. He created all this. And, um, you know, archaeologists say they, you know, 40, 60,000 years, 120,000 years, but the old people would say they're timeless. Yeah, so they, they could be even older. You know, and we, they're essentially a meeting place, aren't they? Yeah, so they're, they're a meeting place for, you know, eight different tribes around the area that, you know, spoke all different languages. So, you know, they they really understood each other, you know, of the other languages they were speaking. And what were some of the tribes? Um, you know, you got Kuma up over Queensland border, you got Morawari, you got Yaralaroi, you got Barabinia, you got um, Nimba, Morawari, uh, Barkindji, um over Camilleroy, you've got Walwyn. Can you tell us about the significance of the fish traps, I guess, to you? How do you feel when you go down there? Pretty special. Or you, you know, you're just looking at something that's been created by, you know, the, the old people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been created for us, for us to also look after. Mm. And which I, I don't think we, much people are doing it now. We, we're not looking after it properly now, as you can see, or if you there's water taken out of rivers and and not the, you know, natural flow going through the rivers. 
Yeah, can you tell us what you do down at the fish traps? So when we was younger, we'd go down there and, um, you know, we'd just swim, fish, uh, play tips, tags and that, and run on the rocks. And Now you're taking girls there to meet them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> show, show, show them the love art rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and are you connected to any of the tribes that used to meet there? Yeah, so I'm connected to Neembar, um, Yeralroy, Morawari, and a bit of Barkindji, I think, yeah, from down Cobar way. Hilston way. Yeah, so tell us a bit about Bree and growing up here. So I completed my um, schooling from K to 12 at the Broarana Central School. It, it was a bit different, you know, growing up where, you know, to my dad's, you know, age, he had to be home before dark and, and all that as before the streetlights come on. Um, he, he was also one of the last kids that was born out on the mission, the Aboriginal mission. And, you know, 65 he was born and then he... 67, they got brought into town on reserves and that, but they still weren't allowed in town. And, you know, growing up now, like kids are out till late, not going to bed, or well, now they're, they're inside playing the game, playing Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's changed a bit. Yeah, so it's changed from, you know, when we was younger, we'd, you know, play tips or play cricket in the street, play a bit of footy in the park, go riding bikes. How many people in your class at school when you grew up? Yeah, not many. So yeah, only about five of us graduated year 12. Wow. And you were saying earlier um, quite a proud moment in your life was that you on your dad's side was one of the only, um, yeah, yeah what, in your family to finish year 12. Yeah, yeah. So one of the first people in my dad's family to, um, you know, get a year 12 certificate. How did that make you feel? Yeah, pretty, you know, Pretty proud. And what was it like with only five and like five or six people in your year? Was that hard trying to complete school with just that limited amount of people, or you always wanted to finish year twelve? Yeah, so it was a bit hard, you know. It um, the way when I say hard, like it's it's hard, you know, the social skills. Yeah. Like you, because we know each other, we we sort of you know know what we're doing or what we're going to do. Where you know if we go away to somewhere else, we we get a bit awkward or a bit you know shame shy around you know other people, and we we don't we really don't have that interaction skills, that social skills. Yeah, makes that hard. Yeah, and that kind of comes down to being so isolated here as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know like Burke's an hour away, but we don't really you know get over there much. Yeah, and can you tell us a bit about why I guess finishing school was so important for you? Well, you know I I don't drink or smoke. Um, so, you know, I had that pretty down pat and, you know, you really need to leave, like get that year 12 certificate to, you know, get a really good job of, you know, if you really want something, you, you really got to work for it. Mm. You know, I've, I've been working since I was 12 year old at the, um, local news agents after school <laughs> <laughs> on the weekend. That's awesome. So you've been making money since you were 12. Yeah. It gives you a bit more freedom, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you look at something and say, oh, shit, I'd like that. And, you know, you've got the money and you know how to work for it too. And why no drinking or no smoking, just a personal choice? Yeah, yeah. You know, I see a lot of people do silly crap and, you know, I don't really want to put myself in that position. And were you brought up in quite a secure household? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like like I said, you know, mum and dad, like if other kids were out and that and... You know, had had no place. Like if their families was drinking at their place, they'd always come around. 
if their parents was fighting, they, those kids would always come around and mum and dad will always open the door and cook a feed for them. So your place was a bit like a safe haven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. And that'd be a big decision for you as well to kind of make a difference in your community as well. Yeah, correct, yeah. And now you're the chief firefighter. Yeah, so, so you started that role. How old were you? 16. So I went to, I started volunteers with the Rural Fire Service since I was about 15, 16, I think. And yeah, now I'm just about the captain. So I've been, you know, been second in charge all the time. So, you know, deputy captain and, and all that. And now I'm just starting to, just coming up the captain. And what made you want to join the firefighting service? So when I when I was going through school, I wanted to you know be a paramedic to you know help help the um, the other you know people in the community and and you know for those you know the old Aboriginal people where they don't really call the ambulance if they're sick, they're just you know oh it's right I don't really don't really want to go to the hospital. Yeah, and that's um, a personal preference, I guess, on their behalf because they like really um, talking to one of their own, don't they? Can you go into a little bit more depth about that? Is it just a comfortability thing, or? Yeah, I think it, well, a bit like what it, where I'm at now. So I, I'm working with the rule, uh, the state mitigation in the rural fire service. I'm a crew leader there. I look after a crew of four, and you know when we go out in in communities and that that we haven't really been, and where the fire service don't really have a good connection with that community um you know where we would go out and we'd actually engage with the communities first before we actually go in and do work so yep. you know we'll, we'll let them know what we're coming in for and you know who we are and you know if there's any sites that you know really special to them that you know they don't want us to go on instead of you know fire service going straight on there and destroying you know like a like a burial ground or a you know, a cemetery that no one really knows or, you know, where ashes are scattered. Because they're not really marked, are they? No, no. So, yeah, with a lot of Aboriginal things, they, there's a lot out there, you know, that that's not marked. We we don't mark them because we don't want other people just to go there, look at them and destroy them. Turn them into a site as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we want to, you know, keep them really sacred and special. Yeah, and can you tell us a bit about, um, I guess, what you do on the mitigation team? Take us back to like a day in the job. So a day in the job, you know, we'll rock up to work at eight o'clock, mm-hmm. you know, get get our truck and our um, gear ready and we'd go out. So we, we were doing a, a cultural burn up at around Barn 4 um, along the riverbank there. There's, so every year, every summer, usually the, the big couple of hundred year old trees always get burnt down due to, you know, people not knowing, just lighting fires and trying to, you know, clear up the land a little bit. Um, you know, they light the fires and it just run up the river and burn a couple of trees. Um, so, you know, we we cleared, you know, containment lines and all that beyond houses and that. So, you know, when we do start to do that burn, it doesn't threaten the house or threaten a tree. So there's a, there's a lot, you know, like we'll, we'll, we've got big brush cutters, big chainsaws and that. And we've got, you know, all the, all the really big tools to, to get in there and, and, um, and work. Can you tell us a bit about last fire season and where you deployed to, what you're doing um, with the fire? Yeah, the fires that were really quite ravaging out there. Yeah, so for us, at about, you know, a couple of weeks ago last year, we, we went to um, Lismore to do a cultural burn. Um, we went over there to do a burn prep and... You know, we, we spent the two weeks over there at Lismore and up at Nimbin Rock. Yeah. So we we just a little village out at um, Lismore. We um, 
we did our, um, you know, containment lines and control lines. And well, just quickly, what is a cultural burn? So that's a, a, a cooler burn than you know the the fire service does. They you know they just walk along with the drip torch and you know fuel where they got a line burn. Yeah, where that brings a lot of heat. Where you know a cool burn is is really cool. You you know you go in and you know you spotlight it here and there or. And it's not fast moving. Yeah, it's or not anything. fast moving. Yeah, if you do a really good cultural burn, you you don't really need you know a fire truck there. So yeah, tell us a bit about when you were deployed. Where did you go for your deployments? Yeah, so like I said, we was up at Lismore and 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 Nimbin Rock. Well, it was just about the you know it was a day before burning, but then the fire control office said no, no burning today. Um, it started to pick up, you know, then they bring all the permits in that you know you can't burn then you know the next day we've got you know deployed down to Grafton at Shark Creek fire when it all where it all kicked off. Can you tell us about how big those fires were? You know just pretty massive you're on one section which could be you know oh you know 100 k's wide and that's just one section mm. and you know you got you got other sections out there you know you got you know you could have you know 100 firefighters on that section and you know you're probably got another firefighters on the other section. Is it scary? Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> when you see fire coming towards you and it's so close, like, how do you feel? Um, well, depending on how big it is, like, if it's a big one, you... Yeah. Go, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a good team behind you. Yeah, yeah. If you've got a really good team and a really good strike team leader and sector commander, you you, you really, you know, you you're not, you don't have to worry. And you were a strike team leader, weren't you? Yeah, so I was a strike team leader when I went up to... Um, Central Queensland. It was pretty, you know, pretty special because my great grandmother, her tribe was a couple of tribes over. Oh wow! Yeah, so I was sort of, you know, sort of at home with it. Yeah, with the tribe up there, and um, you know, it, it was a, it was really different to you know New South Wales. You know, different, you know, country. You know, to I'm used to the flat country where over there's sort of illy. Yep. And you know, it's just different. You know. You know, you got fire come towards you, and you got these houses there that you need to save, and you get trucks bogged in the water, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, or everything. You know, it doesn't run, doesn't run really well, but it, you know, it just just goes. Have you had any close calls or any really scary moments? The scariest moment, probably for me, is you know, like trucks when you you know, truck rollovers and that. That's probably the scariest thing. And you were the strike team leader of how many people in your crew? There was a fair few, yeah. And um, I did a couple of strike team leaders. So and and also did one at Mount Campatar. So that's over the between Bingra and um, Narrabri. Um, so I did a strike team leader there, and and I was looking after about thirty people there. Um, and what age range was that? Oh, from you know my age to seventy. So you're you're leading people that yeah. are like four times older than you are. Yeah, and you know, and you know, I showed them the respect, and you know, they showed me really, really good respect. You know, and you know, I'd go with them again another day. And funny story, like there's one fellow who's sixty, seventies, um, and we kept getting spot overs on on this line. We, we was on the fire line for about oh, fifteen and sixteen hours, and and we was we should have been you know left uh, you know the fire ground was just about to leave and. And this wind turned on us. There was there was other crews there, and 
but they was too busy fight, fighting a fire up close, and, and there was a lot of spot overs happening. And you got this fellow, he's, he's jumping out of his truck, and he's patting out all these spot overs, <laughs> and said, oh, that's all right, you jump in the truck, I'll, I'll get this. And, you know, just seeing, you know, the age of him, you know, getting out and really determined to, you know, stop the fires, you know, that's what made me... Doesn't get, matter what age. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really matter what what age. So that was all part of the RFS, and then you got this big job leading the mitigation team. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Can you tell us, like, it's in Brewarrina and Burke, isn't it? And yes. So we're the first Indigenous mitigation teams um, in the service. Yeah. So you know, we we we're the ones go out on on country. So yeah, we, we're mitigation teams, but we 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 also do a bit different to the mitigation teams. So we go out, engage with communities. You know, go out and talk to elders and, and, and um, you know, go on country, you know, identify, you know, scar trees and sites and that. Yeah, so the idea of it is that you know the land so you can, you know how to best manage bushfires. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what's the season looking like coming up next year? Um, the coast probably be a bit, bit quiet where the bush, we, we've got a bit of growth out here. Um, so we, we might be busier out here this year. Yep. Do we need to do anything to help stop them? Like, is that what you guys are doing, essentially doing these cool burns and whatnot to try and lessen the chance of it happening again? Yeah. So, so a, um, a really good burn down Tarthra. So when they had the fires in there a couple of years ago, they did a, um, a, a cool cultural burn just a lot in front of the village, the mission down there. And the fire was actually coming and it pulled up where they did the cultural burn. Really? So yeah. it, it is showing that it works? Yeah, and it, it's showing that it works. And, you know, it, it worked, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Do you always think that you're born to be a leader? Um, a lot of people say that, but I, I, you know, I just do the best I can. And um, I guess you're brought up in quite a good family as well. Um, are they proud of you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're proud of me. The, the old town's proud of me. And this is essentially a stepping stone to become a paramedic, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. You know, before I even started volunteering, I wouldn't even thought, oh, you know, I'll become a firefighter. But, you know, I, I, you know, I come so far and in this job you meet a lot of really good people. Definitely. And has there been any obstacles? Um, there's been a lot, you know, in the service and out of the service. So the non-Indigenous, non-Aboriginal people, you know, see me as a threat somehow, but, you know, they, they think, oh, yeah, he's going to come and take over my job and, and all this and all that. And so you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can feel it and you can sense it through people. Well, you know, I've been I've been living through that all my whole life, so I've really, you know, us Aboriginal people, we, we, we really know and we really sense it. How do you deal with it? Um, well, you know, you just carry it on. If they'd be a pork chop about it and... You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's always going to be pork chops, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's either, you know, two ways you can deal with it. There's either, you know, yeah, go and punch the lights out or, you know, deal with it professionally. Which yeah. is what you're doing. Yeah. And how old are you, Bar? 22. You're only 22. You're such an old soul. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think it's going to get better, these obstacles? Do you think there's um, been a difference uh, as you've grown up? Have you seen it? Well, I... I like, there's always going to be people out there, that, you know, going to be a poor chop. But if it's changing, it really needs to change from the top. It can't change from the bottom. So what do you suggest that people do? So, you know, really just sit down and listen to the, you know, the people who've been through that. Um, 
you know, I'm only 22. I, I don't really know much, but, you know, I know enough to, you know, get me through, you know, because I've, I've experienced all all this and, you know, I've, I've got a really big respect from a lot of people, you know, even much older than me. And, you know, like I was saying, you know, it really needs to change from the top. So, um, so if it needs to change from the, in the fire service, it really needs to come from the minister and the commissioners. Yeah. So they... For for the service to change, they really need to change it because they're the they're the they're the drivers of this you know service. Is this a big step forward though with your mitigation service being the first Indigenous crew? Is that a big step forward or? I'd say it is, but we we need to take the service really needs a bigger step than what what they're taking now. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like they just put us out Bree and Burke, we're out west. Oh. They're out there. They can do their own thing now. We not really worry about them. Yeah. And that that's the feeling that I've got, you know, from from the servers. They yeah. There's a lot of people in there that supports us, but yeah, we we're borrowing a, a training vehicle at the moment, so we haven't even got a a um a permanent vehicle for for our brigade for you know sorry our mitigation team. So are there younger people that want to follow in your footsteps, younger Aboriginal people? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, even Burke and Bree, especially, and Walgett, you know, there's a lot of kids, you know, see, oh, you're, you're the firefighter, eh? Bit of an idol. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I, I don't really see myself that way. Um, but I feel, Barry, you're 22. I feel like you could be that change. Uh, Is that something you want to do? Let's, let's hope. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope, you know, people just sit down and listen. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for chatting with us. <laughs> That's all good. Thanks for coming out. Oh, thank yeah. you. Oh, we love it out here. Yeah, welcome to the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> wild, Wild West. <laughs> what an incredibly warm and genuine soul. Thank you, Bara, for showing us around town and the local hangouts, the ski hole. And for the pub lunch. Yeah, very good. And also I hope you enjoyed the trip in our little plane. We took Byra up for a bit of a fang. And um, you weren't there, but he's such a keen photographer and he was taking shots of Bram, we're doing laps and laps, <laughs> making sure that we got the right picture. So I hope those pictures work out for you, Byra. So thanks, Byra, for your time. And we are so incredibly excited to see where life takes you and what you do. And we'll be sure to keep in contact and catch up soon. This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney. Music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages.